we're in Daniel, we're talking about Daniel, we're talking about this concept of taking a stand. And we're talking about taking a stand and standing up, okay? Standing out. Taking a stand for what we truly believe. And being really convicted in that. And being, and being able to, to do it in the right perspective, from the right, in the right way. And today I want to talk about, a little bit more about that using Daniel, uh, in his life. And him interpret, interpreting uh, a dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar, in which he served at the time, had. If you if you were here last week, we talked about, um, the nation of Israel became divided through their sin. They became divided through uh, certain things that happened, and 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 the nation itself split. To, uh, ha- more than half, two thirds or so, went to the north. Uh, uh, some went to the south, and God sent prophets to them. And they begin to to worship false gods. They begin to do everything that God detested. And so God sent them prophets. He sent them people like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and and some other prophets that would come and they would they would say to them, "You need to turn. If you don't turn, this is going to happen. If you don't turn back to me, if you don't turn back to God, this is what's going to take place." And so many people, or I don't know about many people, but I've heard some say uh, God would send the prophets and they were like a stop a, a stoplight. You know, you had the yellow that said caution because if you don't if you don't slow down, this this impending doom is going to happen. Well, both of the both of the kingdoms at that time didn't listen, so the northern kingdom per se uh, got got um, attacked, if you will, by Assyria. They came down from the north and literally dispersed them. The two tribes are the north, the southern kingdom. Um, Babylon, a, a nation by the name of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, came over and took the people in three waves. Daniel, the guy that we're going to talk about today, was in the first wave of those three waves. These three waves um, of people would be taken to Babylon to be used for workers and, and leaders. In Daniel's group, the king wanted to take them because they were young, they were uh, moldable, impressionable. They were the leaders of, of, of the, you know, up and coming leaders, and he wanted to culturize them in the Babylonian culture. Okay, he wanted to make what we would say uh, con- uh, contemporary Christians, or not contemporary Christians, but cultural Christians. Uh, if we could use that word, it's like us where we come and we say, well, this is what I believe, but we go out into the world and we become saturated with the world's philosophies, and then we we kind of go with them and we become culturized by the culture out there instead of the culture. Within here, we know what is truth. And so Daniel was taken, and some of his friends we talked about, and but they stood up. They didn't become culturized to the Babylonian culture. Instead, they stood up. They stood out. They took a stand for what they believed. Uh, and, and they stood firm. So if you would go to this, there's a slide that says Daniel, and it's going to say chapter 4, or Daniel 4 on it. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Daniel 4, and I want to look at this particular story that we're going to kind of reflect on this morning. And if you would go to Daniel, you can find Daniel. If you go to the New Testament, go back a few books, you're going to run right into Daniel. So Daniel chapter 4 is what I want to look at today. And we're going to just really kind of skim through. Chapter 4, I'm not going to read it word by word. It's something you could take and take a look at later this week. Spend some time um, familiarizing yourselves with this situation. So in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king in which he's serving under, has a dream. Okay, And King says, to those who of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. 
How great are His miracles and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this sense of, through Daniel, of, of something, uh, you know, of, of this God that they serve. But then he has this dream. And in verse, uh, uh, verse 4 there, in, uh, in verse 4 it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. While in bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to all the wise men of Babylon to me in order to to me in order that they might make the dreams interpretation known to me. When the divine priests, mediums, Chaldeans and astrologers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now, when we talk, when we look at that verse, it says, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. We're going to find out this dream, as he says, was very alarming. And Daniel's going to look into it and he's going to, he's going to interpret the dream, but the message, which we'll look at, but the message of this dream is, is very, it should be very alarming for, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And some have even suggested that when it says that they could not make its interpretation known to him, some might suggest that they're saying they kind of knew the interpretation, but they feared that if they told him the truth, what could happen? Okay? And it's kind of where we want to go today, in a sense. If we kind of look at it from the perspective that they might have known, because it's kind of, when you look, it, it, it kind of made itself known, but they didn't want to do it for fear that he would react against them, because it was not a pleasant message or interpretation of this dream. And so he calls in Daniel in verse 8, and it says, Finally, Daniel, named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him the dream. And Belshazzar, head of the diviners, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes down through those verses there and describes this dream. And it's about a tree and how this tree is kind of flourishing. And then all of a sudden this, this tree is, is cut down. Okay, And it says, and he goes through all of this uh, up into, up into uh, verse uh, 18, this is where I want to pick back up, chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, this is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, again, Daniel, tell me the interpretation. Because none of these wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me, but you can because of the spirit of the holy gods. Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was stunned for a, mo- stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said about Shazer, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. So he answered, my Lord. Now I want you to listen to how he words this. He's standing before the king that could take his life. He's standing before a king that could easily dismiss him, could easily just be up, become upset. We read about kings like that. Remember King Herod a little bit later on in, the God, in, the, in Matthew where he issued a decree because he was so paranoid about his, his uh, rulership, his kingdom, that he wanted to kill uh, all the boys two years and under because he was afraid there was this other per- person coming up that would take his spot. Very paranoid. So we read about kings like that. And so, rightfully so, there's probably a lot of people that's very paranoid about what the king, what the king thought and what the king felt. And the king says, listen, Daniel, he felt Shazar, listen, Daniel, just tell me, don't be alarmed. And Daniel hears it, and Daniel's alarmed. His first reaction is kind of alarmed. And it's, and I think there's a little bit more of a kindred spirit between him and the king. I, don't, I think there's a little bit of a, a friendship and a sense taking place here because Daniel makes this statement. He says, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you. And it's interpretation 
to your enemies. Hey, King, I pray, <laughs> I pray that this dream is not about you. Because this isn't good. You're going to get an interpretation now that's not good. And it's not going to come back and make you very happy. And I pray that this dream is really not about you, but it's about your enemies. May they be the ones that receive this dream or the entity of the, or the, the, the ramifications or the implications of this dream. And then he goes on and he begins to interpret this dream. And he begins to tell the king, this dream is about you. And I want you to listen to someone who is serving a king, okay? I want you to listen to the words of a person going to someone in authority over them, someone that's in a, in a foreign situation in a sense. This wasn't really Daniel's native culture. That Daniel was, uh, he, he, he didn't belong here, okay? But he's giving him the interpretation of this dream. And listen to the words he says down in 27, chapter 4. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustice by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Daniel just called the king out. Daniel just called the king out saying, King, this is my advice. This is my advice. Separate your... He came out and said, hey, hey, king, you're sinning and you need to cut it out. That's what he's saying. He's calling the king out on his actions. King, the way you're living your life, the way you're doing things, this route that you're on, this thing that you're doing, this little, this, this, everything about, you're doing it wrong. It's all about you. You're I probably like, you probably say you're a narcissist and it's all about you. And if you don't change, this is going to happen. And my advice is stop sinning. Separate yourself from your sins and do what is right. Cling to righteousness. Get away from injustices. Cling to righteousness. Show mercy to the people. That, that, and perhaps when you do this, maybe this dream won't come true. Now, we read this and we say, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for all of us. I think we pick up the Bible again. I have said this time and time again. I think we pick up the Bible and oftentimes we flip through it, we read it, and we think those are great stories. Wow, Daniel being in the lion's den. Wow, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you read the story when they got thrown in that fiery furnace and they didn't burn up? Hallelujah. Boy, we can preach that. And then we go out in our world and we don't live like a life that says, I may get thrown in the furnace if I don't, if I don't, if I would stand up against something. I may, you know, we go out in the world and it's like there's not, there, there's, there's kind of, a, there's not, there can be at times not much of a difference. We're not standing up. We're not standing out. We're not saying, I'm standing for what is right. And in this particular situation, what Daniel is doing, he is going to someone that's in authority over him, but put it in, put it in um, simple terms for you and I. He's going to someone that he knows, and he's telling them, quite blank, this is how it is. This is how it is. There are people, in our you have relationships, and I have relationships, that you know, sitting right here, right now, you know that the direction, the path that they're on in their life is not good. You may have a child that's going astray. You may have a child that's buying into other worldly philosophies or doing things that you know is not in harmony with what you've been taught with the Word of God or what you believe that the Bible teaches. And it's hard to stand up and out to that person to say, you need to change your ways. 
Or maybe we can do that with our kids, right? Maybe they're grown kids, and we don't want to risk that relationship. Maybe they're, maybe it's you know something else. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's someone in our life. Maybe it's a relationship that we have with someone else, and it becomes a little bit tenuous because we don't want to go there, do we? I mean, let's be honest. We try to push small groups and small groups and small groups. And what we say is, man, can we have authenticity? Can we hold each other accountable? And we preach and we sign those covenants. And we, every time we sit down in a small group, we'll sign out a covenant. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be accountable to each other. And the next thing you know, if there's any shred of accountability that comes, I'm out. I'm done. You're not going to do that to me. I'm not going to open myself up to you. And there's no authenticity. And it's hard. To approach someone and say, man, I love you, but I don't agree. I love you, but I don't agree with where you're going. And I don't believe that it's in harmony with the Scriptures. Okay? And I believe that's the lesson that Daniel's showing us here because in this situation, that's exactly where Daniel was at. He was forced to interpret, though, right? In a sense. But he may, he may have, he could have said, I don't know. I don't know. But instead, he stood out. He stood up, he stood out, and he said, King, you're wrong. This, this is what this dream means. If you don't change your ways, this is what's going to happen. You need to, you need to literally change. You need to repent. We would use the word repent. You need to change, man. You need to turn from the, what you're doing. You need to go in the opposite direction of what you're doing and go in the other way. Those are some strong words. How many of us in here this morning have had those conversations with our friends or a spouse or somebody that we love that we looked at, we know that what's taking place within their lives is destructive spiritually, emotionally, mentally, maybe physically destructive. And what they need is someone to step in their life to say, man, I love you. But this is, you've got to change. You need to change. And I'm here for you. You need to change. I think there's some things that we can we can extract. And then I want to close by talking about a few very basic, I, I think some basic things we really need to focus on if we're going to, if we can, if, if we're going to be a person, not if, we need to be people that stand up for God and allow God to use us in situations where we speak truth into people's lives. But there is a key to this, and a lot of times that's been abused and that's been misused in ways by people that really just, it just turns it off for everybody. Okay, it's a very delicate approach of how we do it. But I think Daniel gives us some insight. Okay, number one, I'm going to don't go to Galatians yet. I'm going to come to that slide after this one. The goal is about restoration. The goal is about restoration. We have to keep that in mind always. It's about restoration. It's about guys. If you approach someone and it is not about spiritual restoration for an individual, run away from it. Some of us that are type A personalities, we're like, I'm all over this. I can dive right into it. I don't know what you're talking about. It's so hard to do. I mean, I'll go in there and I'll, sh- I'll give my opinion. I'll show them where they're wrong. And we're like, I mean, you're all ready to, to, to get, just to jump up right now and get out the doors. You've got this one, right? You're already tuned out thinking about what's going on. Some of us, person, uh, you know, that, that type A personality, man, it's like, it's all about that. It's not all about that. If the goal is not about restoration, if the goal is not about that person's soul, run away from it. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of things we will engage in conflict over that has nothing to do with a person's soul. 
right? We will stand and we can butt heads about other things, but when it comes right down to it, there's very few, I would say, where we are willing to engage in each other's lives and open our lives up to someone else so that there is this continual reciprocity of restoration. We are on a spiritual journey. Every single one of us. There isn't a person sitting in here that has arrived. We all need one another. We all need to be able to speak to each other and speak into each other. But the problem is, is when it gets abused. We don't need more opinions. We need more Scripture. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6. And this is just one passage that talks about how we deal with each other. Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 through 5. He says this, Brothers... If someone is caught in any wrongdoing, okay, that's what we're talking about today. If someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watching out for yourselves so you, so you also won't be tempted. Verse 2, carry one another's burdens. In this way yourselves so, or in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. Paul says it very clearly. Throughout the Gospels, throughout Paul's writings, it's all about the other person, right? Jesus said it. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the two greatest command? Love God, love others. What does it mean to love others? It means to be very careful when we engage in each other's lives. Some of us can be so quick to jump in feet first and begin to tell someone else how to live their lives, and usually it's about temporary things. It's not about the eternal things. It's not about the eternal things. I, it, okay, I, I'm using the word always here, okay? I get that. But a lot of times, relationships are hurt because when we come to other people, we're not coming in with Scripture. We're coming in with other things that has nothing to do with Scripture. Have a gentle spirit. Let me ask you something. Someone comes into your life and just wants to bulldoze in and come in and starts talking about things that really aren't spiritual, where they have a problem, they have a disconnect, they have a rub, right, in your relationship. It's their opinion, you know. And we come in, or that person comes in, and they start just really kind of, just kind of just telling you where you're off and where you need to grow and this, that, and the other, among a few other things, right? But let's keep it, let's keep it, you know, they, they say that they're concerned and that they have this, okay? Let me ask you something. What grabs your attention more? Someone bulldozing into your life that demands an entrance into your life with no reciprocity, but demands an entrance into your life, or someone that comes in that has reciprocity that says, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. And they come in, they start talking to you. I remember one time when I was, uh, this was this happened, and I'm going to be very transparent with you. Uh, one time, uh, I was at a church and we had just moved and we kind of got off out of sync with our tithing. Okay. 
And we started playing that catch-up game, saying, okay, well, next week I'll do, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and we just became, and I knew where I was at, and I knew that, the, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic whatsoever, but I just believe tithing is part of our spiritual discipline. I just believe that, okay? And we just got out of sync. We got out of rhythm because we had just moved, so you're kind of catching up here, doing this, doing that. And I remember after, after a little while, someone came to me, one of the elders came to me, and, and, I, and we were friends. We were friends. And we went out to breakfast, and we sat down, and he began to talk to me. And he began, he, and, he, and he said, are you okay? Is, are, you know, is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, you know, th- yeah, you know, things are okay, you know. So we get to talking, and, and he said, he said, man, I don't want you to take this to be legalistic. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to intentionally hurt you whatsoever. But, you know, we've noticed that your, your, your giving has been off, and, and usually when that happens, there's something that's, there's something going on with the heart, usually. And I just, I'm just coming, and I'm, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to browbeat you. I'm just trying, I'm just coming to you as a brother saying, are you okay? Do you know what made me think about getting back on track immediately more? Was a conversation that was coming from a person like that, that I believe cared about me. And, and I believe cared about my spirituality more than about tithing per se. But he was coming to me saying, how's your heart? And that just grabbed a hold of me. If someone would have come in and came at it from the angle of legalism or anything else, or would come in where I didn't have reciprocity with that person, where there wasn't this give and take, I don't want to hear, I I wouldn't have listened to it. I would have said, you know what, it's none of your business. How did you get this information out anyhow, right? How did you get that? And become very defensive, very defensive. But instead, there was a brother that came to me out of love with a gentle spirit and reached into my life and had a difficult conversation with me. And that got my attention. There's nothing I believe will get our attention more is when someone comes out of love for another person. They're just they're coming and they're it's genuine and they're coming in and they're set with a gentle spirit and they're saying, Man, I love you. And they're coming in there and it's about something that has significance. It's not about something temporal, but it's something that is very deep. And, and I'm telling you, I believe that what gets across to us more is when come, someone would come and say, you know what, I'm praying for you and I just want you to consider this and I want you to pray about it. And if God leads you this way or God leads, then, then, then that's between you and God. A lot of times we come in with this fist and we're saying, you need to change. You need to change. You need to change. And that doesn't get the results because I don't believe that's I don't believe that's the way the scripture teaches. But it teaches us, I believe, the way Daniel handed it. Say, Daniel says, "Man, King, I hope it's somebody else." Daniel comes and says, "I hope it's about your enemies because this isn't this isn't really good." And then he and then when he said he it comes time to stand up and to stand out, that's exactly what Daniel did. But it's always about restoration, helping someone get on the right path. It's confronting because we it's it's. It's we never confront because I've got the right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I've been there. I've done this. It's I, I, I. It's none of that. It's about being. It's about coming out of love and caring, truly caring about restoration for that person. Does that make sense? And this is how we have to be very careful because a lot of times. And this is what I see a lot of times on the flip side of this 
is a lot of times we won't engage with people where we do need to engage. We do need to step out. We do need to step up. We do need to stand. And sometimes we will hold the horizontal relationship a lot higher than the vertical relationship. What I mean is, there's times where God, where God is going to lead us to reach out to some people, an individual, a relationship that we have, and, and like just like this, and move us into a situation that is very unpleasant. And we don't want to be there, but it's about the restoration, and God's going to use us in that moment. But sometimes what happens is we care more about the horizontal than we do the vertical, and we say, "Well, I can't do that because what are they going to think if I come into their life?" What are they going to do? I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid they might disconnect from me. I'm more concerned about what they think about me than what God thinks about me. And that's where we get it off. That's where everything comes out of kelter because it's, it's about, there's a balance there of, and it's about the vertical relationship, but it always has to deal with restoration. The second thing is this. We have to proceed with caution. We have to proceed with caution. Paul says, Paul talks about, you know, the Holy Spirit is what inspired Paul to do this. To, you know, to, as he pins out gently and humbly, having this gentle spirit, having this gentle spirit watching out for yourselves because it can happen to you. If we're not careful, it can happen to you. And a lot of times when it does happen to us, we're so blind or we see it within us, but we become more passionate about when it's happening to someone else in their life. You've been around individuals like that. Where, where you've sat around someone and they have, they have the, it's like they have, they're nailing it, man. They've got a nail and they're beating that nail. They're beating that thing for all it's worth and you come to find out that's what they're struggling with. Have you ever had that? Seen that? You're coming all over something within my life or someone else's life, but you're struggling with it more than they are. We've got to be very careful and proceed with caution and, and, and again, uh, ensuring that it's the Spirit moving us and not just us saying, well, I need to take care of it. I need to have it. And then the last thing is this. It's got to be in God's timing. It's all about God's timing. King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't he didn't pony up to this. He didn't say, you know what, you're right, Daniel, and he turned. When we read on, that's not what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar continued to go his way to the point where he made a very narcissistic comment where he was looking out over his kingdom and he said this, look what I've built. Immediately when he says, look what this kingdom that I've done, he was stricken. And for seven years, he lived stricken. Read the rest of the story of what happened to him. But then at some point in that seven years, he regained some type of census. I don't know how, whether the spirit gave it to him or whatever. He regained the sense of, 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 of his spiritual census and he came and he repented and he repented but it's all in god's timing i can't change somebody you can't change somebody there's no way it is absolutely impossible it will never happen that is not our job it's the holy spirit and it's god god is just asking us to be faithful now real quick i just want to share with you a couple last little points because i believe this is where it all happens okay it ha- there's a couple things i want to point out and this is where I believe it really happens. Last week I had a picture. If there's a picture of, uh, if you go back to the front of the presentation, there's a picture of Francis Havergal that, that wrote that song, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, right? And if you remember that, remember what we shared with her. This is an individual. She died in, I think she was 42 or so when she died. But in her early 20s, she had memorized all the Gospels. She memorized Revelation. She she memorized uh, the epistles, all of Paul's writings. She memorized Isaiah, 66 chapters of Isaiah. This person had knowledge. She had knowledge. 
But she came to the realization, and not that knowledge is bad, but she came to the realization that there's something more. She came to the realization that she was missing the experiential side of God. The experiential side of, of God's Spirit. And so she began to pray out. And remember, I read that, I talked about that last week, where she, where she just cried out to God to bless her. I wanna, I wanna give you this, the second piece of her life. She says this, I want Jesus to speak to me, to say many things to me that I may speak for Him to others with real power. It's not knowing doctrine, but being with Him, which will give this. God made, And again, God made Francis wait um, uh, for a certain point in time, but she finally received it in December 2nd, 1873. Listen to this. I first saw clearly the blessedness of true consecration. I saw it as a flash of electric light. And what you see, I love this statement, and what you see, you can never unsee. She saw it. She experienced something from God where she was able to say, I've seen it, I've got it, I've grasped it, and I'm not going to be unseen. We often say, once you ring that bell, you can't unring it. Her bell was rung. And she experienced something. She experienced this, this, this deep intimacy with God that, that, that's from a growth in, in personal holiness. And through that, there was this power of ministry. Everything that she longed for, she received. She was truly transformed. And she would later ask the church this, why should we, why should we pare down the promises of God to the level of what we have hitherto experienced of what God is able to do, or even what we have thought He might be able to do for us. Why not receive God's promises? Nothing doubting, just as they stand. You talk about, she was radically transformed. And guys, this is where I want to end. This is where I want to close. And I'll, just a couple points, very quickly, is this. There is a huge balance between knowing and experiencing. If we go into certain relationships and we say, well, I know all this stuff and we haven't experienced it, we're off. There is something very critical about the vertical and the horizontal relationship. Both are very important, but if we elevate uh, certain horizontal relationships over our vertical relationship, it's not going to stand. We're not going to be able to stand up and we're not going to be able to do what God is calling us to do. We fall into this, this scope of saturation versus transformation. We begin to to question, you know, this this divine yearning, okay? This divine yearning that's that's within us. We have every single one of us, if we don't squelch it, has this yearning for the divine that God plants inside of us, that God drives because it drives us closer to God and it makes us search. And that's when we begin to discover the difference between primary and secondary issues, okay? Primary and secondary issues. The primary is always about God, but a lot of times we camp out on the secondary. And another way I could say it is this. I've been, uh, a book, uh, there's a book called Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb, which I think is a phenomenal book. Shattered Dreams. And this is what he says. He says the one thing that we, we yearn for so much, and there's times where God will shatter our dreams, but it's to drive us back to the primary. It's to drive us back to Him. There's times where we have these dreams within our lives and they become shattered and then we want to blame God and we want to say, where's God at in all this? Where's God at? How come God didn't move? How come God took what I loved? How come God did all these things? And it seems so cruel 
But what God is doing, He is literally shattering the secondary to drive us back to the primary because that is the richest dream that any one of us sitting in here could ever obtain. And that is this deep, rich encounter, experiential encounter with God Himself. Do we get that? That is what it is all about. But a lot of us, we're off floating on butterflies' wings looking for that secondary dream. And God's saying, no, it's not about that. It's not about what you dream up. It's about this. And to protect us, He shatters some of those dreams to drive us back into where we're going to receive that full fulfillment. Does that make sense? And when we live in that, that's when people say, I found it. I found what I've been looking for. I have found it. I no longer feel like I need to search. I no longer feel like that I'm empty. I no longer feel dissatisfied. I no longer feel like something's missing within my life. I feel complete. It's because you've been driven back to the primary by the love of God. Where God is saying the most incredible dream you could ever have is to have an encounter with me. And folks, when we have that rich encounter with him, we become individuals like Daniel and like his friends that are able to reach out, to stand up, to stand out, to do the things in which God has called us to do. And that's when we will feel and be the most complete that we've there's there's no more than that. We have we we have we have sensed that, and as, and as um, Francis said, we've seen it, and there's not any unseeing, uh, unseeing it. As I close and the worship team comes back, I want to share with you one last thing, and that's this. In Mark 12, 24, Jesus is teaching on this to the Pharisees. And in Mark 12, 24, he says this. He says, he's telling them, that we can fall, basically. Well, if Jesus told them, are you not deceived because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God? And what He's telling them is this. He's telling them there's, there's two different things that we can fall into. We can, either, we can fall into doctrinal error or we can fall into this exper- experiential error, right? And, and Jesus is saying that in these two, this doctrinal error, which is based on ignorance or misunderstanding, and then this experiential error based on the denial of God's powerful reality in a believer's life. How, you know, and the question is, how, have we become so obsessed with the former that we've neglect that latter part? Where we've neglected experiencing Him in a very powerful way. Real quick, the church says that one of the things that, um, I want to read this quote to you real quick as I close. It says this. The Christian movement was started by the witnessing of individuals' lives being radically transformed. As we become like individuals, like Daniel and his friends, where we, where we have that rich encounter, where it's all about God and about God driving us, and we're saying like Francis, you know, here's my life, let it be. Here it is. Guys, have we, I wish we could grab a hold that that is what is so contagious. We get so deceived thinking everything else is contagious, thinking that even like with church, if we can just, if we can just invite people to church, that's going to fix it. That's not going to fix it. What's going to fix something within another person's life is that, well, it's Jesus for starters, right? But to draw them to that is to see Jesus real in your life. 
where you've experienced Him, where you've had this rich encounter with Him, where you continue to have this rich encounter with Him, where you are literally being transformed. The witnessing of that is what is going to, is what is going to help others see Christ alive in this world. That's the way it was when the church started. That's the way it, it continues to be. When we become transformed, that's when others begin to take notice and realize we're different individuals. I pray that as we continue to embark on this journey of standing up and standing out, guys, I just pray that we would become individuals so humble, just so humble in God's presence to say, God, you know, here I am. I want to experience you. I want my vertical relationship to just skyrocket with you. And I want my horizontal relationships to, to just skyrocket because that, that means that people are, uh, I'm able to, to, to touch other individuals because of the transformation that's happening in my vertical relationship. Why don't you stand? Let's close with a word of prayer and let's, uh, we're going to close with a couple songs real quick. But I just want you to, again, as always, just open your hearts, I pray, to the power of the Holy Spirit, to His leading. Maybe today's the day, this is going to be the first day you've experienced. You've got the, you've got the knowledge. You've got the, you've got the academic part, but now it's time to truly experience. And maybe you have experienced, but maybe today is a day where you need that refreshing. You need that resurgence. You need that fire turned up and relit. Maybe today's the day the Spirit is going to grab a hold of your life because this is the first day you're going to say, you know what? Here's my life. Take it. Let it be. Take it. Every aspect of it. Father, man, we read the word and it's so exciting. We see men and women that, that have dedicated their lives to you and what the Spirit has done in their life. We see men and women coming on, coming of, just becoming on fire for you. We see men and women doing things that are inexplicable. We see things happening that, that is just miracles being done by other individuals where you're flowing in and through them. And I pray, Father, that that, that excitement would drive into us and realize that, Father, that that is the same Spirit that we worship today. That that spirit lives inside of us. Your spirit lives inside of us. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to, to, to respond to you. Give us the courage to respond to you the way that we need to respond. Father, I know that there's people in here that are on fire. I pray that they would pray, begin to pray in their hearts right now for others that, that, feel, that feel empty, for others that have been deceived, for others that, that have been distracted, that they might be able to make that, that move to become alive in you once again. Just minister to us and help us to, again, most of all, to respond the way you would have us to respond. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior.